Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as I... Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Across the Sky podcast brought to you by Lee Enterprises. I'm meteorologist Joe Martucci. I am here with meteorologist Sean Sublet, meteorologist Matt Holland here. Kirsten Lang is not here for today as we talk about hurricane preparedness in your house. We are getting into the peak of hurricane season. really starts to ramp up in August. The peak is about September 10th, and it's a slow drop through mid-October, so I think we're in the second quarter of hurricane season here, um, but as we get into the peak, we have George Siegel here to talk to us about it. He does a lot of work in home preparedness here. We think it's uh, very valuable as we go into the season, especially for those of you who are living on the East Coast or on the Gulf Coast, have a second house there. So let's hop on into it, and we'll talk to George Siegel on the Across the Sky podcast. Okay, and we are here with George Siegel. George is currently in the Tampa area in Florida. He is a filmmaker, a podcaster, and a former local news reporter and weathercaster. We'll talk about that as well. But we really have him on today to talk about hurricane preparedness in relation to owning a home. Um, you know, as we get into August and September and October, especially if you live in Florida or if you live on the coast, you're thinking about hurricane season, what you need to do to prepare yourself now and what you need to do when we do get into those hurricane and tropical storm watches and warnings. Uh, George also uh, directed the documentary The Last House Standing, um, has a podcast as well. So we welcome on George to our Across the Sky podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here today to talk about hurricane. Hey, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. Um, so you know, first, I want to talk a little bit about your weather uh, career here. First, what got you interested in weather and where across the country have you been forecasting the weather? You know, it's probably easier to tell you where I haven't been. You know, it, it, <laughs> it just it was a fluke how I ended up doing it. Um, I used to, I grew up watching Pat Sajak when he was a weatherman in Southern California. And I went to audition for a job in Bakersfield for a sports job. And the guy said, oh, can you do weather? We have an opening for a weather guy. I said, sure, I can do weather. And I didn't know anything about weather, um, but I was good at talking. And so I got the job and, you know, I did it for the next 14 years. Couldn't get away from that job. You know, I never, I, I wasn't a meteorologist. You, I learned how to do, you know, read the maps and do forecasting. I was doing it more for entertainment value, but uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. You got to meet a lot of interesting people. I've worked with some really talented people at different stations around the uh, country. 
I worked from San Francisco to Seattle. I started in Bakersfield, went to Fresno, uh, Detroit, and San Antonio. So I got to live some fun places, and uh, it was uh, it was a good experience. So you know, you, you said uh, you know entertainment of you know a couple seconds ago there, but now you're really working on you know more serious topics, right? So now that you get closer to hurricane season, it's more about what can I do now to be prepared. Absolutely, make check your insurance policy. Make sure that you have the coverage that you think you have. Have somebody explain it to you. You know, the insurance policy is 50, 60 pages long sometimes. Most people read the first page where their name is and they sign something. And so you really need to understand it. Is Are there exclusions for storms? But most insurance policies aren't going to cover flooding at all. And if you need to get a ins uh, flood insurance policy, it takes 30 days for that to go into effect. So when you look at the hurricane maps now and you see something cooking in the tropics and you go, that could be 10 days away. That could be 15 days away. You're not going to have flood insurance for that. So then you have to go, okay, well, what are the things I can do right now? Take pictures of everything in your house and document it so you know what you have. Yeah, I, I'm curious about when you get into this short time span, I mean, within a week and you're in the cone, and of course, there's still uncertainty where the worst impact would be. But, you know, for people in Florida, anywhere on, in the U.S. East Coast, once you're in the cone and you're down to a week before a potential landfall, what should people really focus on? Because there's so many things suddenly that you feel like you have to do. But what are the most important things people should do now to prepare their home for a potential hurricane or tropical storm making landfall? Well, first of all, you really have to know how your home is built to withstand something like that. So, for example, all the you know we were talking before we went on about St. Petersburg. Uh, a lot of St. Pete would be underwater in a major storm. So you have to know what is the flooding potential for where you live, whether you even want to stay there. If you've ever seen those videos of people getting rescued off the roof of their house, or um, I, I have a guy I interviewed for my podcast who was in uh, Tin City, which is down in Naples, and they had 20 homes in their community. And they all flooded during Ian. He evacuated. One of his neighbors did not. And she was killed in, in the hurricane. She drowned. And it's just frightening to see those things. So you really have to know, okay, where I'm living, what is the risk here? And, and then you have to know when to go. In Florida, because it's a peninsula, if you wait too long, you could be sitting on the highway when the storm is hitting. The gas could all be out between here and wherever you're going. Um, so you have to know when to leave and you have to know what you're leaving behind and how safe is your house going to be there. It's like, you know, are people going to break in and, and, and steal everything you have? What if your roof is leaking and you have to stop it from leaking? Um, but the commitment has to be to protect your life and your family first. That has to be the number one thing. And when the experts tell you to go, I mean, as critical as I can be of weather forecasts, I think those guys do a phenomenal job. And I think first responders do a terrific job. But when you stay behind and are caught in a storm and they have to come get you, now you're risking their life. So it's a whole level of responsibility. But the main thing is understanding what, what you think your house will do in a storm, what your neighborhood will do. Um, what's the flood potential like? Um, we did something in our house. We have a double front door. We have, I have a newer house, but those double front doors are pretty worthless if it's really strong wind because they'll just blow right in. So what I did is I bought a Kevlar blanket that's made where they screw it in around the frame of the door and you could try to shoot a cannon through that and it wouldn't open. So I know my front door is safe. I know we're at 10 feet elevation. So when Ian was coming, we were told it's going to be higher than 10 feet. And, you know, that was a really scary time. It is really interesting about Ian, though. I mean, because, you know, to your point, right, it didn't look like, you know, Tampa 
Clearwater, St. Petersburg was ground zero. But as we know, Fort Myers was still always at a risk for it. It just wasn't in the center of the cone like you saw. So what are your ideas about, you know, making sure when you're talking about a hurricane forecast cone that we could say, you know, in the case of, of Ian, hey, look, if you're in Fort Myers, you still got to pay attention to this, even though Tampa, St. Petersburg, Clearwater was, you know, three, four days out looking to be, you know, they were in the center of the cone, but that didn't mean that they were necessarily, you know, the worst case scenario for it either. You know, that all boils down to how people don't think anything bad's going to happen to them. We always, you know, every year we see when, a, a, whenever a hurricane is headed towards New Orleans, all the people partying on Bourbon Street, um, you see the people that put up signs saying, it's not going to affect me. The storm's not going to hurt us. I think people just live with that. So when you're in the corner of the cone, you have this false sense of security and those people absolutely should have been preparing. But then places like Sanibel Island and Captiva, there's one way off of that island. So if you think you need to get out, you don't wait till the last minute or, or you're not getting out. And we saw how bad Sanibel and, and Captiva were damaged. We used to go down there every year and it's heartbreaking. All right. Well, we have George Siegel here on the Across the Sky podcast. We're going to take a brief break and on the other side, we'll have more. Welcome back to the Across the Sky podcast, our Lee Enterprises national weather podcast. New episodes come out every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. We are joined with George Siegel again here. Uh, we're talking about homeownership, hurricane preparation. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what you've been up to. Uh, you have a documentary. You said it's been on Netflix or trying to get it on Netflix. You've been on PBS as well. The Last House Standing here. Um, and what I like, uh, you know, on the cover here is you say hope is not a strategy. Um, and that is certainly true. So tell us about the last house standing where people can find it and, you know, how it relates to the work that, that you're trying to convey out to the public. Sure. The film is about how we blindly buy homes and build homes in places without truly understanding the consequences. And then we seem surprised when they get wiped out every year. And the house we themed it around was on Mexico Beach from Hurricane Michael. It was truly the last house standing in that area. And I actually came up with that name from watching Talladega Nights, the Ricky Bobby movie, where if you're not first, you're last. And it's like, okay, sometimes you want to be last. I want to be the last house standing. I've actually had people argue with me. I wouldn't want to be the only house left if everybody else was wiped out. So what's wrong with you? You'd rather just be wiped out too? No. Build a safe house. And that's what the film's about. And we explore tornadoes and tornado zones, hurricane areas, fire areas, and um, with, with the hurricanes that we saw. And it's what do you have to build that will survive the hazards in that area? And there's always something you can do to be safer. And so that's what the film focuses on. It's on Tubi TV, which most people have with if they have a newer television, you can get Tubi as um, you have to sit through some commercials, but it's a great way to watch a lot of different films. And it's also on my website, thelasthousestanding.org, where you can go on there and rent the film. And, I, and it really is a wake-up call for people. And it's all part of the theme of what drives my podcast about tell us how to make it better. It's what can we do to improve our chances? Because if we're waiting for somebody to change the building code or to come in with some master save for us, it's not going to work out too well because we can't even agree as a country what's what color the sky is. So to say, oh, let's change the building code. That's tough to do. It happens. We have some examples in our film, but it doesn't happen easily. And, um, you know, people have houses where the builder goes, he boasts, hey, the house is built to code. 
And I've interviewed architects on my podcast where they say a, a, a good builder is building for the future, not to code. To code should be a four-letter word. It's like, well, code's not good enough. In Mexico Beach, where they were wiped out, they're not even rebuilding to the standard that would survive another Hurricane Michael. And that's the same story with uh, with the rebuilding from Ian. So that the film is designed just as a wake-up call, and I, I hope people check it out. We're working on another version of that, uh, hopefully in the next six months or so, called Built to Last, Home, home Buyer Beware. And it's just about all the things that go on behind the scenes in, in the houses that we end up in that we don't know about. And you know, there's a whole lobbying industry that builders have to keep the code as low as possible. Right. Following up on that, George, I was going to ask you this. I mean, everybody loves being near the coast, right? Um, we just kind of intrinsic. It's an intrinsically human kind of thing, right? But, but aside from the idea of like, well, it's just not going to happen to me. What do you think needs to be done? And I don't, I don't necessarily mean physically, financially, or, or socially. What do you think can be done to convince people, you know, if you're running to build things at the shore, you do have a risk, you know, to, to emphasize to people, yeah, this legit can happen to you instead of just going, eh, well, you know, what happens to other people? Is there anything we can do messaging code, stronger codes, obviously, but anything else that comes to mind to, to really drive home this point? In, in a brief short answer that that's depressing is no, there's probably not much because people have freedom in this country. They want to do what they want. Nobody wants to tell you where to live and what you can do. So now people are flocking to those areas. What we're seeing in Florida you know, I live in Tampa and we want to switch homeowners insurance. We can't even find a company that'll cover us. And that happens to most people. And so you look at where the risk is the greatest. All those people that live right by the water, we're paying for that when we don't live by the water. So who should share that risk? And I think once it gets down to the point where you can't get insurance for living there, maybe things would have to change because right now that risk is spread out for everybody and it's, it's hurting everybody. Because you can't get homeowners insurance. Auto insurance is leaving Florida like crazy. Um, I'm sure that situation exists in other states. Building code is key. South Florida has the toughest building codes probably in the country. And you see a lot less damage down there when there are hurricanes. They saw this from Ian in, in Southwest Florida. The newer structures did a lot better than the older ones, even the ones that weren't necessarily flood proof or strong enough. Newer is better than older. But we have a huge older building um, stock in this country, and you see it clean places out like Mexico Beach. You see what it did to Sanibel Island, where all those things were wood right on the water that just got obliterated by Ian. And that's kind of a way of, okay, now you have a chance to rebuild. How are you going to rebuild? And 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 they, the, the example I told you about in Tin City in Naples, they didn't do anything differently, but they fixed 20 houses in that neighborhood. Now, their flood insurance went way up, but if there's another hurricane this year, it'll flood again because there's nothing new that was done. So I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm willing to stand on the hill and keep screaming, wake up. But it's 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 it feels futile sometimes because it's hard to get people to change and, and, and accept it. I want to go at this from the perspective of a home buyer. If you're in the market and you want to be prepared for a hurricane, you know, you're in a place that might be vulnerable, but also, you know, we're just seeing a lot of severe thunderstorms too. And the wind, high winds that come with severe thunderstorms and is your home prepared? I mean, we're not just talking about tornadoes, but just high winds from a strong 
a thunderstorm? You know, what are the questions that a prospective home buyer should be asking the builder or the seller about how is this home prepared for severe? What are the questions that you should be asking to see how well that house is prepared to handle severe weather? You know, the first question I would ask them is what disasters did you consider when you were building this house and what have you done to cover those? I think you'll eliminate a lot of people real quickly with that because I think the answer, the, first of all, some of them may not even know, but they're gonna look at you with a blank look and say, we built, this house is built to code. And it's like, okay, but are the is the roof bracketed to the walls? Are the walls bracketed to the foundation? Do you have hurricane windows? Are these double pane windows? Are they, what wind rating does this house have? What is there foam sprayed in the attic that can give you that extra uh, uh, barrier of protection for wind? What's the garage door rating? What's the door and the front door rating? You know, we had a friend when we first moved here, we went to their house and the door opened out, not in. And I looked at him like, why would you do this? This is so unwelcoming. And then I did a little research and realized those doors don't blow in. Brilliant. But most builders don't want to do that because it doesn't look good when the door opens out into the face of the person that's knocking on your door. So there's a lot of things that you can ask and ask questions. I got to tell you, for someone who made a film, I don't even know who the owner of the company who built my house is. That's how bad a job I did because I dealt with the salesman and then the foreman, the guy that was out there working with us. So I didn't get to ask a lot of those questions. So I'm somebody who knows these things now. I'd love to go back and do that because those knuckleheads couldn't answer any questions. They probably don't know anything. And then when you go and in, 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 and you find things, I had a guy on last week or he's on my podcast this week as a home inspector and he found a cup in the foundation that they left when they poured it and he pulled the cup out. So now there's a little hole there. That's not going to destroy the, the integrity of the house. But if the trash was that obvious right by the end of the foundation, that entire house is probably filled with garbage. And if they didn't clean it and do that, what other lack of detail went on on that job site? So if you're buying a house, first of all, go around the neighborhood and see that builder's other job sites. See what their work looks like, how clean it is, how thorough they look. Because most builders will give you a list of three or four happy customers that they have and say, talk to these guys, they love me, I, they have a great house. Nobody gives out the bad guys. They're not gonna say, yeah, go talk to Phil, he sued me and uh, I just had to pay him a million dollars. You're not gonna get those. You have to do your work. You have to ask questions. Don't get lulled into the eye candy of the granite countertops and the, the wood floors. Ask about the safety features and beat them over the head with it. If they don't wanna deal with you, don't deal with them. Don't reward mediocrity. And that's what we always do because we need a house quickly or we fall in love with it because it's a great backyard for our kids. Um, another thing I like to do, and uh, I, a lot of people don't have access to this, but I would ask who the subs were that worked on the house and find out if those guys were any good because your house is only going to be as good as the total of all those people that worked on it. So I, I know the pool builder that my builder hired probably couldn't blow up an inflatable pool. This guy was a moron. And we have problems with it all the time. Um, you want to know who these people were when you have somebody come to, to look at your electrical and they go, wow, that doesn't look right. Then you have to think about all that other stuff. So ask a lot of questions and get access to the people who can answer them. And if they don't go find something else. Good info, George. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, you know, I think we're going to wrap it up. I mean, we had a lot in a short period of time, but I just want to leave the floor open to you. Your message to our podcast listening audience here across the country, 
about hurricane and home prep and how we can follow you before we wrap it on up. My main message is ask questions and be as prepared as you can. Don't be quick to make a deal and, and do your work because people aren't going to do it for you. And ultimately, it's only your fault. If your realtor doesn't tell you something, well, you could have researched it. If your builder doesn't tell you something, it's maybe you didn't ask enough questions. Um, so I want people to ask more. Be inquisitive. Um, you can. I told you where you could watch The Last House Standing. You go to thelasthousestanding.org. And my podcast is Tell Us How to Make It Better. And that's at tellushowtomakeitbetter.com. And it's warning signs and solutions for homeowners. And I have guests every week that talk about things you should be paying attention to for your house, things you should know about, things you should be involved with in the building process and, and the design process, because your knowledge can make all the difference in the world. And I'm telling you, I'm guilty of lack of knowledge. Don't make mistakes that I've made. So I try to point out things to people because you know you want to avoid those mistakes. My dad used to always lecture me and I'd go, why are you telling me this? He goes, because I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. And I realized how smart he was. I see that blank look on my kids' faces when I tell them that. And you go, come on, just take some of this knowledge. It can only help you. It's not going to hurt you. And that's what I want people to come away with. Awesome. Well, George, th thanks so much for the time and uh, the insight here um, as we get into the heart of hurricane season. Uh, thanks a lot again. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. We'll be right back. Looking beyond the atmosphere, here's Tony Rice with your Astronomy Outlook. Rocket launches are a spectacular sight, especially in the comfort of your own backyard. And there's a pair of opportunities that are coming up over the next week, not only for Florida, but possibly into the New England states. It's a busy week at the Cape, with Starlink satellites launching early Monday morning from Space Launch Complex 40, a communications satellite Wednesday, shortly after 11 p.m., from Launch Complex 39A, and another batch of Starlink satellites at 8.40 p.m. from Slick 40. While visibility will be limited to Florida and coastal Georgia residents for the first two, that last one it comes at a time that may increase visibility up to the Carolinas. And this is because T0 is scheduled for the end of civil twilight. The sun is long set and there's not a whole lot of light left in the sky, but that's from the ground, up where the rocket will be traveling, the sun is still shining and can illuminate the rocket's plume. And that could be prominent as the plume expands in the increasingly thin atmosphere, giving the plume what many describe as a jellyfish appearance. So you broadcast METs along the East Coast, perhaps as far inland as Atlanta, Charlotte, and Roanoke. Let whoever's answering the phone that evening know that this is a rocket, not an alien jellyfish in the sky. Looking ahead to next Thursday, August 1st, a resupply mission to the International Space Station is scheduled for launch from the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport at Wallops Island on Virginia's eastern shore. That 8.30 p.m. launch time will have similar lighting conditions as it comes about 10 minutes before nautical twilight begins. That Cygnus vehicle will follow a southeasterly trajectory. We've seen visibility in past launches along this path that extends from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, all the way up to the New York Tri-State area. That's your Astronomy Outlook. Follow me at RTP Hokey for more spacey stuff like this. Thanks again to George for hopping on here. Um, you know, he lives in the Tampa area, so he sees a lot of this firsthand, at least the threats for hurricanes firsthand. I do really like what he said about asking 
questions. Um, I'm currently in the trying to buy a home market, and now I'm thinking as I look for houses, I should probably be asking more questions that I am already. Sean, I I, I think you've had, had you know, bought a house, looked at the houses. Have you asked a lot of these kind of questions when you go into home ownership? Because I really kind of feel like a, a little afraid to ask these kind of questions. It's you know, it's, it is hard. I mean, you, you want a house. You're excited about being a homeowner for the first time or second time, and you're I've never bought one that was new. I've always bought one that you know, somebody had been living in. And you double check that it's up to code, uh, which is what he alluded to. But you know, by my own admission, I haven't looked that deeply into this rating or that rating, right? Um, so th it's true. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to sit there and ask those questions. Um, but if you do live in a place that is especially vulnerable. Now, having said that, if I were to be fortunate enough to start looking at property near the coast, I mean, with, and I say near the coast, I don't mean oceanfront. I mean, within five or 10 miles of the coast, I absolutely have to stop what I'm doing and think about that because not only that there's insurance, like he said, homeowners insurance, suddenly you're having trouble getting that in Florida in the first place. We've also seen that in California because of the fires. Uh, this goes back to to the whole climate thing, which you alluded to, Matt. Uh, so yeah, it's there's a lot to unpack as the as the expression goes. I, I just want to say one thing too. You know, with the insurance, you know, in Atlantic City, the Jersey Shore, where I cover, you know, day in and day out, a lot of talk is about discounts on your FEMA flood insurance. There's something called the Community Rating uh, Scale, where you know it's a combination of paperwork done, actual things in the towns that help you accumulate points and get discounts on your FEMA flood insurance. You can get up to 45% off on your FEMA flood insurance if you live in a town that takes these ta tasks seriously about mitigating coastal flooding. We have a town here, uh, Avalon in New Jersey, beautiful area, beautiful town. Uh, they get 35% off and that's the only town in the state that gets that kind of percentage off. And that saves, you know, across the whole town over a million dollars a year just by the the increase in, in the rating there, you know. Um, so it's called the Community Rating Scale. You can check it out. It goes from level 10, which is no percent off, to level 1, which is 45% off. Um, but if you live along the coast, thinking about buying along the coast or along a waterway, rivers, check that out because, you know, your town, um, you know, you might want to, Talk to your elected officials a little bit more about, hey, maybe we should be doing some of this, um, you know, as you go forward. Well, one of the things that stood out to me is, you know, you can ask the question, was this house built to code? And the answer is yes. But then the, the follow up question is, well, what is the code? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's something that has to be looked at because are we building homes the right way? Are we building them to withstand increased extreme weather events? Extreme weather is happening more frequently is becoming more likely that your home is going to be impacted by a hurricane or impacted by a severe thunderstorm. And so the code that we were building to may not be up to par now. I think we really have to look into that. But the problem is, in order to build a safer house that can withstand strong winds, uh, it's going to cost more. And we already know that there's a big problem with the cost of housing. And so when you tell people, well, now we have to increase the home costs, to build it safer, but that shouldn't be, we shouldn't compromise safety, uh, you know, for cost. So I think what we need to look at is ways to 
improve the safety of homes, make them be able to withstand extreme weather better, but not have this huge inflated cost, because that definitely will turn a lot of people away. But you don't want people to say, well, no, I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to build a less safe house just to save money. You don't want it to come to that. So that's something we really have to look at moving forward, I think, is making sure that we're keeping things affordable, but also improving the quality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, another episode in the books here. Um, We will be back with you next Monday as well. And before we do that, we want to tell you, you can, uh, if you have any questions, weather questions, climate questions, questions about us, you can uh, give us a shout. We're all on social media. You can find us there. Or if you're interested, we still have our hotline that you can check out. That phone number is 609-272. I keep forgetting this, 7099. So you can check us out there and you can uh, give us a phone call as well. As we or an forward, email. I'm sorry? Podcast, podcast at lead.net if you want to send an email. There we go. If you don't feel like calling, it is 2023. People don't always feel like calling. Uh, you can go to uh, podcast.ly.net as well. Uh, taking a look at what we have down the road, we got a nice mix of people. We have uh, we have Zeke, Hossfather. Sean, did I say that right? Housefather, yep. Housefather. We're talking about the near record or record warm ocean waters. Uh, the August 7th episode is going to be Bruckner Chase. Uh, who does a lot of stuff nationally based uh, in my home market here, here Atlantic City, about ocean and coastal safety. Um, and we have uh, Sally Warner uh, talking about warming of the deeper oceans from hurricanes here. And then on August 21st, heat in football. So we have you scheduled out with plenty of Across the Sky podcast episodes for the next couple of weeks. So plenty of listening to do. I hope everyone's enjoying what we've been putting out for you over the summer. And tell a friend, tell a friend about our podcast if you think they're interested in what we have to say. So for meteorologist Sean Sublet, meteorologist Matt Holliner, I am meteorologist Joe Martucci signing off for another episode of the Across the Sky Podcast. At Strayer University, we see you striving to work harder and go further. That's why we provide you with the tools you need to get there, like offering a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can do your coursework anytime, anywhere, and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.